Yes, good morning. Uh, we are continuing our series on Hebrews. And, sorry? You have a problem. You couldn't look at mine. Can't see it. Sorry. Waiting for the projector to come back on. But we are continuing our series on Hebrews. Okay, so you can get prepared. Uh, we are on Hebrews 9. Okay, and in particular, uh, chapter 9, verse 11. Okay, Jesus is greater than the goat. Which was really, really fun to receive that when the preaching rotor came out. Jesus is greater than the goat. Um, but we're, we're going to work this out. We're going we're gonna to take a look. What does this mean? But hopefully you'll see the... Oh, yeah. Is there, there's a sermon gone? Oh, stick it in the back. Very technical. I want you to see the the title. You know, it's, it's, I make a lot of effort with that. Is there? Have you all got that in your Bibles? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. See, one of the things is I have a lo lovely picture of a goat that I've selected, and I don't want you to miss that. Because I know Tim was very keen on, on having a goat, a present of a goat involved. It's coming, you'll get to this soon. Done? Okay, great. Yeah, Jesus is greater than the goat. And uh, the next slide is the picture of the goat. Jesus is greater than you, goat. Okay? So that's what we're talking about. So Hebrews 9, verse 11. Okay, I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this out. You uh, do feel free to uh, follow along in your Bibles. So I'm going from verse 11. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean how much more then will the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to god cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living god for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case 
of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of one who made it because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who has made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to the people, he took the blood of calves together with the water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scrolls and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled the blood, the blood of both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law required that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It is necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy, that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So uh, last week we had Dave preach to us about the tabernacle and about the covenant covenants, and this is where we go a step further in looking at the sacrifice that uh, that Jesus made, and. Um, I've been reading around the subject of a particular type of goat, um, the, sca- the scapegoat. Okay, so you might be familiar with the, the scapegoat, the idea of a scapegoat. Now, the scapegoat um, is something that affects our everyday life. Okay, there's different scapegoats going on. And, uh, but I wanted to find out where the idea of scapegoat came from. So the answer to that um, actually comes in Leviticus, uh, which um, somebody prayed for me not so long ago, and they had this word before I knew I was preaching this, and it all comes together. God's got a plan. He all works it all out for you. Anyway, so Leviticus 16, 8, okay? This is where we first experience the scapegoat, the idea, uh, the concept of a scapegoat. So in uh, Leviticus 16, 8, Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin, offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take two goats and to present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. This is the first time we hear about the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat who whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for the sin offering. 
but the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord uh, to be used to make an atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. So the sin is put on the scapegoat and the scapegoat is sent out to take the sin with it. In some translations, to take the sin to Azizel, okay, which is Satan, the devil. So this is the scapegoat. Now, there's a lot going on with a scapegoat. I've found out um, that scapegoats are actually connected to... Um, Actually, can we have the next slide up? So scapegoats are connected to persecution. There's a real strong bond between scapegoats and persecution. And, and it is a learnt thing, okay? Persecution, scapegoats are connected to desire, and it's about imitation. We actually take on, we learn our desires by desiring things that other people around us desire. And that helps us to form our own desires. And this um, is connected to scapegoats. And this, hopefully, I'm going to make this all clear. We shall find out. Okay, so the next slide is persecution. There's a big, there's a large amount of this is to do with persecution, to connect with scapegoats. And I'm going to use the story um, of Salome, first of all, to uh, try and extract some of this um, human scapegoat and uh, persecution. Okay, so we all know who Salome is. She is not mentioned in the Bible, but we all know who she is, right? Yes, she is the daughter of Herodias. We've got a very interesting situation. It's spoke about in Matthew 14, and we're going to look at that. All right, so we've got a situation where Herod at the time, decides that he would like the wife of his brother, who is actually called Herod as well, and she's called Herodias. It's very complicated. Herod, Herod, Herodias. Anyway, Herod, the King Herod, wants his brother's wife, who is Herodias. And um, John the Baptist, this is, this is key moment. This little section is the death of John the Baptist. And, uh, and the reason for his death is he is a scapegoat. He is our first scapegoat. And there is persecution involved. So how does Salome fit with this? Okay, so um, I'm going to read uh, Matthew 14, at the beginning of Matthew 14. At the time of Herod, the Tetrarch um, heard the reports about Jesus. And he said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. Um, that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias. Okay, Herodias. His brother, and in the, in the Bible here, what Matthew says is, is Philip's wife. Okay, I think there's some text which suggests that his name was, was Herod. But uh, Philip's wife, Herodias. John had been saying to him, it is not lawful to have her. Okay, so this is the problem, first of all. So Herod and Herodias is actually complicit in this. She wants to be with the king, okay? Herod has this plan. He wants his brother's wife, and she's in, getting into this. 
And um, John the Baptist, he said, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. This is not a good thing. So we have an interesting situation where Herod desires his brother's wife, okay? But there is someone who stands in the way of that. What happens with John the Baptist is he becomes an obstacle to that desire, okay? Now, Herod does some work here, okay? So he has John arrested and bound and puts him in prison, okay? So he tries to remove that obstacle, but he knows that he can't kill him. Um, but the plot thickens. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests. Okay, so it doesn't mention her name. And pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Up to half the kingdom. Okay. Now, um, prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter, the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oath and his dinner guests, okay, so we've got more people that are invested in this desire, okay, this wrong relationship, Herod and Herodias, together there are guests, and they are all part of a unified group. He ordered the request to be granted, and John beheaded in prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it, and then they went and told Jesus. John, John was challenging the status quo here. He was the obstacle. He was the one in the way, and he was the one that had to be removed. Now, um, Herod had the power to imprison him and in part remove him. But Herodias had also had this desire and she had developed such hatred for John who stood in the way of her being with the king, but she was bound. There wasn't anything she could do, but was there. You know, you know Salome. Okay, there's these pictures. There's lots of artwork of Salome. There's films and there's operas about this exact situation where John the Baptist is murdered as a scapegoat. And Salome is painted in such a way. Okay, she is painted as this provocative seductress. Yeah, you've seen those sort of images. You've seen that description. Um, it's been connected because of these operas and stories, these are fairly recent over the past uh, few centuries that she has been painted in this way, okay? Uh, there's the Dance of Seven Veils. Have you heard of that? And they use that and they connect that with Salome. But there is a major problem here, and we need to dispel this right now, which is exciting, and it also helps to clarify on this idea of persecution and scapegoat and what happened with John the Baptist, because it comes down to um, a word that is used to describe Salome, okay, Herodias' daughter. And the word for daughter is Chorazion, uh, Chorazion, Chorazion, which means, it does not mean young woman, 
it means little girl. All right? That's a problem. That doesn't fit in with any of our pictures of Salome. Okay, she's a little girl, a maiden. These are the translations of that Greek word. Um, so what what is going on here? Okay. I think what's going on here, and I think that we can make a connection between this desire, this blocked desire, this obstacle, this scapegoat, and persecution here. What is the most disturbing thing that I think is happening here is that because Herodias has this huge hatred for this man that's locked up in prison and she can't go any further to remove that obstacle, what she's actually managed to do is transfer her hatred. What this little girl has done is she's adopted her mother's hatred for this man, this little girl. Right? And one of the other indications of what's actually happened here is that Herodias says, ask for the head of John the Baptist. She doesn't ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. That's all Salome. That's disturbing, I think. Don't you? It's really that she adds that herself. You know, because it's very interesting, when this little girl is in front of the king and he offers everything up to half of the kingdom, she has incredible power as a little girl to say, I'm not going to stay, I'm going to go and speak to my mother. That's what she does. There's something very disturbing, something very natural, something that happens a lot in history and even now, this idea of the scapegoat, this idea of removing an obstacle, this object of persecution. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, so, I want to talk about another story, uh, but I'm going to need some help uh, for this. I need some actors. Uh, no speaking uh, parts, but I, uh, I want to talk about a situation that happened with Peter when Jesus was arrested. So I need a handful of volunteers. Can I have some volunteers? Um, I need Vicky as well. Okay, but I need two or three more uh, guys would be useful. Okay, and, um, and I, need, I need a prop, okay? I need a prop. I'm going to use this chair. All right, so we're going to set the scene. Thanks, Al. I needed Al. Right now, I need a couple more, please. A non-speaking part. Come on, Dick. Come on, Dave. Right? Yeah, you're good. Thanks, Steve. Come around here. Right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just... Uh, and Vicky, you go, you go over there. I'm going to set the scene. Okay, so um, the next slide is called Peter and the Fire. Okay, Peter and the Fire. It's a very well-known story. Okay, so these guys, Jesus has just been arrested, okay? Now, I'm going to play Peter because I'm in control here. Just, you know, so I'm going to play Peter. Now, I, I'm going to set the scene for you. Uh, Jesus has just been arrested. It's, it's late evening. It's dark, okay? Okay, and it's cold, all right? Jesus arrests. It seems to have shaken Peter. I'm, I'm Peter. He doesn't understand. He's destitute. He's responding in basic reflexes. He's cold, okay? And this, this is going to be the fire, okay? So Peter is cold, and he turns to warm himself by the fire. We're warming ourselves by the fire, okay? So Peter is outside. He doesn't know what to do. Jesus, who 
he has been with, who he needs to be with, is rested. What does this mean for Peter? Okay, and we've got this little circle of people warming themselves by the fire, including Vicky. Vicky is playing the role of the servant of Caiaphas. Okay, she is also warming her hands. We're in the courtyard of the place where Jesus has been arrested and is being detained. So, so Peter comes alongside these people and he turns to the fire to warm himself. So we're going to look at Mark 14, uh, verse 66. Are you guys all right there? Just keep warming your hands by the fire. Thank you. Okay. So it, it says in Mark chapter 14, verse 66, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest, that's Vicky, okay, one of the servant girls of the high priest, and the high priest is Caiaphas, we know what he's doing, okay, because he's interrogating Jesus. She came by, and when she saw Peter warming herself, she looked closely at him. She looked closely, because it's dark, it's not easy to see, but there's a fire. So she looked closely at him. And she says, but he denied it. I said, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. I don't know, is what Peter says. I don't know or understand what you are talking about. He said, we get that sense of destitute. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't understand what's going on. Jesus is in there. Nothing about this makes any sense. I don't understand. He, he goes to the entryway. He can see the entryway. He's, he's sort of over here. When the servant girls, girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, and again, he denied it, I am, I am not. Stop it, I'm not. After a while, those standing near said to Peter, and this is where she goes again, because what she's trying to do, you can see what she's doing. She's actually working these, these guys. She's got a little community around the fire, okay? Uh, what does she say? She says, uh, lastly, you got that surely... Because what's actually happened here is she is she's recognized that that I am different. She's recognized that I'm not one of these guys. We've got a little community. We've come together to the fire. The fire is more than just warmth, it's light as well, it's dark, okay? And she has recognized me because of the fire, because I've tried to come into this community. I don't know what to do. I've come into this community and I want I want warmth. I want to be part, right? I've lost who I was with, and now I need to be with, right? So, but as I've responded, as Peter's responded, he has said, no, no, right? And as he has done that, not only has his face given him away by the fire, because the fire has lit his face, and he looks different, but now his voice. She says, surely you are Galilean. I can tell by your voice, you're not from around here. And as a result, he begins, and I, I'm going I'm to get you guys to sit down. Thank you very much. That's really good. So 
so at this point, he begins to call down curses. You know, he starts to deny it. Why would, why would I be a part of Jesus? I can't have been. I wasn't. I wasn't with Jesus. I don't know him. I wouldn't be. He's in trouble. He's in there. I wouldn't. He was calling down curses upon himself. Why was he doing this? He wasn't fearful. He could see the exit. He could have left if he wanted. It had a lot more to do with being separated from who he was with and needing, feeling like he needed to be with people. Okay? This is not an unusual situation, not an unusual situation for us to do. Um, but of course, for Peter, this had all been prophesied by Jesus. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. And then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. The fire here is important. It's a little community. Uh, people circle the fire. They hold out their hands in warmth and light. The servant girl, she recognizes him. She convinces others because of this. Um, why does she do it? Well, because this is her community, right? Finally, his accent gives them away. The small group begins to persecute the odd one out. Peter could leave, but he doesn't. He denies Christ in an attempt to connect with those around him. You know, uh, you may have experienced this with other people or with yourself. I know that I have. It is a very simple way to make friends is to adopt other people's enemies. Yeah? I certainly have experienced that, you know. I think one of the things that we, we have such strength this morning because of the songs that we sang earlier, Peter had that real sense of, I'm with Jesus, that makes sense. I'm not with Jesus now. None of this makes sense. You know, singing those songs this morning, it says, he will never let me down. He will never let go. You know, we hold on to that in our hearts. It makes such a difference, you know, as we face these different situations. When we try to integrate and people recognize us as foreigners, he will never let us down. So the next slide says us. So, you know, where do these, where do these things, uh, you know, where does this idea of persecution and scapegoats affect us in our daily lives? All the way from Leviticus, all the way to the Passion, right? But it affects us. Um, for example, very simple example, okay? A man who works, he's mistreated by his boss. He comes home and he kicks his kid, right? Somebody's got to pay. Somebody's got to pay for what's going on. Or maybe he slaps his wife. This is a scapegoat. Somebody has to pay for what the experience, what that person is experiencing. These are things that we know happen, okay? You know, um, obviously I'm a big football fan. And uh, with what I understand about football, right, is if the team stops to do very well, okay, somebody has to pay. Who's going to pay? 
let's sack the manager, right? Let's sack the manager. I've learned that about football. Okay, they sack the manager. Something's going wrong with the team. Sack the manager, right? Because he's the one on the pitch, right? He's the one scoring. No, it's not doing. Anyway, get rid of him, okay? Get rid of him. It must be his fault, right? We get rid of him. Um, or maybe maybe Boris Johnson, right? Okay, recently uh, he got a new job, and uh, so he, he did a speech about that, okay? And Boris, Boris understands scapegoats, okay? So what he did, one of the first things he told us, look, we're going to leave Europe, right, in October, but if we don't, the buck stops with me. That's what he said, the buck stops with me. Because he knows that the people, what they really want is a scapegoat, okay? People really want a scapegoat. They don't want a dec decision. They want a scapegoat, okay? Someone that we can say when it all goes wrong, we put it all on him, okay? He will be our scapegoat. But there's problems with scapegoats. Jesus, Jesus can sort us out on this, okay? So... If we stand for truth today, as John the Baptist did, we will be seen as an obstacle, okay? An obstacle that stands between people and their desires, okay? They will want to remove that obstacle, all right? This is a reality of the scapegoat that will affect us, okay? Now, uh, I've got another demonstration. I need Vicky's help for this as well, okay? So, um... I've got a, a little bottle here, okay, a bottle of rice and a chopstick. And um, <laughs> I'll bring this table over in the middle so you can see. Great, okay, so um, got a jug, got a chopstick, okay, nothing up my sleeve. Right, so uh, this is a bottle filled with rice, okay, and this is... Jerusalem, okay? All of the grains of rice here represent all the different people in Jerusalem. And there's a huge variety of people in Jerusalem who want all different things, okay? With the Romans, the Jews, there's all sorts of people in Jerusalem. And they're here, they're here because, uh, what's the festival? The Passover, right? So, there's even more people here, more people from all over the place have come to Jerusalem. It is completely packed with different people going in different directions with different desires, okay? And it's got a really complicated system with Herod, with the Sanhedrin, and with Pontius Pilate, okay? So um, the thing about this is that the leaders are very concerned, you know, about all these different angles and desires and stuff. How do we keep the people, how do we stop violence breaking out? Well, um, I wonder if we can, I want to prove that the, the rice is freely moving here. So you can see that the rice will just fall out of this bottle. Can you get that rice back in there? Because, yeah, that's your job, <laughs> right? So, I'm going to make sure the rice is really packed in there. This is why I need an assistant. Okay. So we're picking up rice now. All right. So 
Yeah, you can, yeah, you can sit down now. That's great. So you trust me that the rice is free-flowing out the bottle, yeah? Okay. Previously, we had a very good uh, object lesson with Paul Winshaw on a stick, but this is not that same stick, thankfully. Right, so um, where's our bottle? Now, this chopstick represents Jesus, okay? Jesus is our scapegoat. When I insert the chopstick into the bottle, okay, something happens, okay? What we have in a scapegoat is something that turns every piece of rice, every person from their individual desires to a united focus of persecution, okay? There is value for the Sanhedrin. There is value for Pilate. There's value for Herod in identifying this scapegoat because with the scapegoat, all of those people are unified to the extent that the whole thing lifts up. That's how unified they have become, okay? So, um, and without that scapegoat, obviously, it's free-flowing and the rice can explode and there's the potential risk of violence going on there. So there is a need for keeping the people united. But unfortunately, this system of scapegoat and persecution, it's only temporary. It's not a full solution. It's just a band-aid on this situation. It doesn't actually work. And that is one of the incredible things that uh, Jesus undoes and reveals, which gives us revelation on the true effects of what's going on with persecution and um, scapegoat, scapegoats. So, let's look at Caiaphas for a moment, because Caiaphas is a great, great example. And this, this little piece of scripture, if we go to the next slide, this is what Caiaphas says. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people um, than that the whole nation perish. Okay, this qualifies this whole scapegoat scenario. This is not an unusual statement. You know, even nowadays, people use this idea, they use this theory. Okay, um, Marvel Universe, he's, you know, people point to Thanos. It's better to kill some of these people so that all the other people are going to be all right. Okay, there's a very big flaw with this. Now, this statement really does connect Caiaphas, Herod, and Pilate, um, and the idea of the scapegoat and the importance of persecution. And there's a piece of scripture in Matthew 24 um, that is always, I've always struggled with. And uh, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures gather, right? I've always, what does that mean? I don't understand. But it makes sense here, okay? Our vultures, our Pilots, our Caiaphas, our Herods, okay? But it's not just them. The really scary thing is Peter, 
needed that scapegoat. He wanted that scapegoat. All the people wanted that scapegoat. We want a scapegoat. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures gather. It, this scripture, it just helps to describe the ugly picture, the ugly truth of the scapegoat. So the next slide talks about um, anti-violence or atonement because there's a lot of modern thought that helps us have a better understanding of persecution and scapegoat and the reason behind it is unity and keeping uh, people from being violent and stuff like that but it misses a crucial factor that we don't miss we sing about it every time we worship the Lord is, is what Jesus actually did on the cross he died for our sins okay you see the thing is like this um what jesus does on the cross he actually dispels the myth he dispels uh scapegoatism for what it is okay he reveals why people uh, persecute and he reveals the error of that uh, but but that is secondary okay jesus died for our sins okay he is our savior first, our teacher second on this subject, okay? It is about atonement, okay? And we see that with the rise, I hope. So um, the next slide is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What, what they do. You see, this, this is what I've referred to before. We have this tendency, we have this learned uh, imitation for desire, uh, so often we want a scapegoat. We're willing to let someone else be sacrificed for the betterment of ourselves. Um, Peter wanted a scapegoat, and so often we do. Um, but the next slide, I want to talk about the accuser, the cross, the advocate, because there is a force, obviously, behind all this persecution, behind the idea of the scapegoat. Um, the, the accuser deceives people into thinking that an innocent victim is guilty. Now, there's innocence and there's innocence because Jesus was truly innocent. This is the mistake that Satan made, that we all know that he died the perfect for the imperfect. This is where Satan overplays his hand. Okay, because Jesus was innocent, um, and that is now why, through the cross, we have Jesus as our advocate, um, which is true grace. And I want to finish this morning with the, the next slide, uh, because we know, we know that Jesus is the ultimate scapegoat, but not only does Jesus reveal the systems of scapegoats and persecution for what it is, an illusion of temporary unity. This whole system is undone, past, present, and future. He completes the full objective of his mission through grace and obedience, and most of all, through his incredible love for us. He took upon himself my sin, your sin, everything you have ever done, everything you will ever do, 
He bore the cost of our sin. He took the full wrath of God in our place. And we are restored to the Father. This is how much greater Jesus is than any scapegoat. This is the restoration of the most important relationship that any of us will ever have. This is not temporary. This is true unity forever. Amen.